much appreciate the uh, First Corinthians chapter 13. That is a, a precious portion of scripture that uh, has had a huge effect on my life. I think I mentioned last Sunday there's, there's three chapters that I try to quote every day. It's uh, Psalms 23, Isaiah 53, and First Corinthians 13. Isaiah 53 reminds me of what, what the Lord has done for me is as being the sacrifice in my room instead, Isaiah 53 is about a substitute, one that, that took my place. He suffered what I deserved. Psalms 23 tells me about what the Lord is doing for me right now. My hope and my heart tells me that the Lord was my substitute. He died for me on the cross. And because he died for me on the cross, I have a home in heaven. But this one that has hope in his heart, I need help right now. You remember the brother said, I'm... My hope is in the sweet by and by, but right now, I'm living in the nasty now and now, and I need help right now, right now. Um, I think it was uh, Elder P.H. Bird one time that went on a preaching trip with another brother, and he went to some folks' house, and, and while he was there, he learned that the folks had, had dogs, and they were letting their dogs sleep on their guest beds. And Brother P.H. said he got in the bed, and the, the bed was just eat up with fleas. He said, and they were like, how to get a good night's sleep. You know, you'd be preaching in the morning. And so he went there and said the fleas were just eating him up, eating him up. They said he got up about midnight and said, Lord, I need time salvation, and I need it now. <laughs> I need help right now. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds me what I should be for my brothers and sisters in, in this life. I think it was Peter that said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover not a, but the multitude of sins. I mean, that, that verse is certain, right? The multitude of sins, what that's saying is we, got a, we all have a lot that's, that's wrong with us. You know, if you find someone in this world, you say you got to search hard to find something wrong with them. You, you haven't searched hard enough. If you search, you'll find not just a little. You'll find a lot wrong with, with all of us. And, uh, and I stand before you this morning. I, I feel to at least be the second in line of the chiefest of sinners. The Apostle Paul is inspired to write it. But um, if he's the chiefest, I've, I've got to be second. And, uh, and I'd ask that you'd pray for me this morning. Uh, this morning is a little sad for me. Um, I really feel in my prayer life that we've, we've come to an end of a, a study of the life of Elisha. Um, the Lord could change that this week. And uh, I'd like for you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 8 as we, as we look uh, today here in the life of Elisha. I'm very thankful for the liberty that God's blessed us to have as we've studied through the, the life and experiences of this precious prophet of the Lord. I want to begin reading and just read one verse this morning. Again, we're thankful for the preaching from Brother Richie, and I'd ask you to pray for me as you prayed for him, and that the Lord that has blessed him would be merciful to bless me in this, in this effort. Verse 7, 2 Kings chapter 8, and the Bible said, And Elisha came to Damascus, and Benadad the king of Syria was sick, and it was told him, saying, The man of God... Is come hither. As I look at this, this verse 7, there's something for me that's very clear in this verse that's not in this verse. Meaning, 
if you just look at the verse, the words that I'm about to say are not in the verse. But what these words tell us is in this, in this verse. It's the hand of God. And as you read that verse, you'd say, Brother Ronnie, I don't read the hand of God in that verse. I, I don't either, but I can see the hand of God in that verse. You know, there's some texts in the Bible you read and you can see the hand of God in the verse. I recall there in 1 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 11 when the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Lord smote them, he chastened them. I had a person ask me once, hey, that, that 1 Samuel chapter 5 right there, Brother Ronnie, if you could outline that, what would it be? I said, if I was going to preach on 1 Samuel chapter 5, I'd preach on the 4-H club. How about that? 4-H club? Yeah, that, that chapter's all about, about heartaches, hypocrites, heretics, and hernias. That's what it's about. Those emeralds, that's what they are. They're hernias. I mean, that, that chapter is a painful chapter. And the Bible says in verse 11 that the hand of the Lord was heavy there. I mean, the hand of the Lord, you can read that, and you know his chastening hand was against those, those people. Easy to see that. I mean, I go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 24, and I read the hand of the Lord. You remember Solomon, he said this. He says, nothing better for a man than that he would enjoy the labor of his hands. He said, for the hand of the Lord hath made it. God, God said we'd live by the sweat of our brow, and, and God has blessed us to, in our labor. And there's nothing better for a man as we labor that we could enjoy the, the fruit of our, our labor. The hand of the Lord hath made it. I go to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12. And the book of Isaiah chapter 40 is, is about us looking to the Lord. Behold your God. Don't behold your enemies. Don't behold your troubles. Behold your God. That's what it's about. And he says, He hath measured out the water in the hollow of his hand, and the heavens by a span. I can see the, the hand of God. Wow, that's a big hand, don't you think? He's measured out the heavens by the span of his hand. I see the hand of the Lord right there. It's, it's clear. When I go to John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, and I read about the Children of God in the hands of the Lord. You've heard anybody say the primitive Baptists just believe a handful is going to heaven. That, that's right, but not my hand, God's hand. Okay, it's going to be a handful, but it's God's handful, which is a multitude that no man can number. When I read that verse, I can see the hand of the Lord. But when I read this verse, the words are not there, but yet I can still see the hand of the Lord. Now, as we started this effort in studying the life of Elisha, do you remember him walking with Elijah and going through those towns, Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho, and then you read about his life, you find him dwelling in those towns of Gilgal and, and Dothan, him being in Samaria. Here in verse 7, ooh, well, he is way far northeast. He's not in the region where his, his ministry was primarily. He's way northeast. He's up there in the land of the Syrians. And when I think about him being there and I think about his experience and everything he's gone through up to this point, I mean, I can't help but just see the hand of the Lord being with this man of, man of God. And as I think about that hand and it being there and it not being in the verse, I think about my life. As God's child here in this world, how often I live in this world and I see the troubles and the trials and the tribulations, things I go through, and I wonder, where is, where is the hand of God with me? 
Have you ever had that experience? Maybe you're like David. David said there in Psalm 77 verse 8, when he went through a hard time, he said, Is God clean gone forever? Is His mercy clean gone forever? I don't know where He's at. I can't find it. I will assure you, dear child of God, is the, the hand of the Lord is not, the words are not there in this verse, but it's there, the hand of the Lord. God is, is with you. Why? Because He loves you. And He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Do you know that's in the Bible? <laughs> that He'd never leave us nor forsake us. There in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, He'd never leave us nor forsake us. You know, there's one thing that's true about God. God cannot break a promise, okay? If God has promised us, God cannot break a promise. You know why? Because He's truth personified. God cannot lie. He cannot lie. And if God has promised, no matter what we're going through, to always be with us, those words, the hand of the Lord, may not be there. We may not be able to see it clearly, but I assure you, God is, God is there. You know, there's a time in the book of Exodus when the children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage and they came there to Mount Sinai and the Lord appeared from Mount Sinai. You remember the lightnings and the clouds of darkness as God would give the law and not so much as a beast could touch the mountain unless it be thrust through with a dart. And the Bible said there was thick darkness there, but the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 21, that Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. God was. God was there even in that thick darkness. And even when we're in times of just thick darkness, we can't see two feet in front of us. We've got troubles behind us and before us. We can be assured the hand of the Lord is there. It's there. The Bible said that Elisha came to Damascus, way far northeast. Wow, what is he doing there? If you'll think about what we preached just a few weeks ago about the great woman of Shunem and how Elisha warned her of a coming famine. He warned her that she'd be led to go out of that place where the famine would be, that she would go and dwell in a place. Now she went southwest, but Elisha, he went northeast. Why did he go there? Why did he go to Damascus? Because it's the hand of the Lord that led him there. <laughs> the hand of the Lord led him from that famine to a place where he could find peace and rest. And dear children of God, many times in our life we can look back and maybe God will bless us to see, but I assure you if you don't see it, it was there. There's many times God's hand will lead us to lead us out of troubles in our, in our life. The hand of the Lord. You know, when you think about that hand of the Lord leading us, we think about God's, God's will. You know, most students of the Bible get it all messed up. Most students of the Bible, they see our eternal salvation as something we choose, but everything temporal is already fixed. There ain't nothing you can do about it. It's already fixed, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that our eternal is fixed by the Lord. If it hadn't been the Lord doing it for us, we'd have never been to heaven. But our temporal, we make choices every day that affect our lives. And praise God, in this, the Lord leads us. Have you read the Bible and noticed the two contexts of the will of God? You know, there's a decreed and fixed will of God that's in the Bible, and then there's a temporal and revealed will of God for us as His children right now. You know, that revealed and temporal will of God, I can walk in it or not be in it. You know, I go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, and I find out about our election and God choosing us before the foundation of the world and predestinating us unto the adopted children. And this was according to His will, the good pleasure of His own will. He's done this. What that's saying is God decided to do it, He chose to do it, and He did it according to His sovereign will, and He didn't ask anybody about it. He just did it. You know why? 
Because God is sovereign and God is God and not us. Somebody told me one time, I'll tell you, election is like this, Brother Ronnie. God made a vote. The devil made a vote. And that's up to you to break the tie. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, when God made the vote, the polls were closed, all right? And the devil never had a vote, and I wasn't around to make a choice. And if I'd have made the choice, I'd have made the wrong choice. That was by the will of God. But the Bible tells us about the will of God concerning this temporal world. You remember Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 3, to abstain from fornication, for this is the will of God. What does that mean? That means if they were involved in fornication, they were not in the will of God. And there's many children of God that walk in this way of fornication. And they're not in the will of God in doing so. That's the temporal will of God. Does that mean they're not in His decreed will? No, it does not. That's a different context. You know, I find there in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 concerning the will of God and eternal salvation, in whom we have an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him that worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. His own will. God did that. He didn't ask us. But I find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, in all things giving thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What does that say? That's saying if we're not thankful, we're not in the will of God. What will? His eternal will? No, His temporal and revealed will. Find there in John chapter 6 and verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all those which he hath given me I should lose some. No, I should lose nothing, nothing. God doesn't lose. And this is the will of the Father that he would lose nothing, nothing. That's God's decreed and fixed will, His eternal will. But I find Jesus, when He taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth. Is that fixed? No, that's temporal. <laughs> thy will be done. What that's saying is, God, I want to submit to Your will in, in my life. You know, all the troubles that I faced in my life hadn't been God's fault. It's all my fault because I did not walk in the right, right way. God will not fail us, dear children of God, but we, we fail God. Here I read in this chapter when Elisha, in this verse, when he's in Damascus, what he's doing, he's a man that's saved by grace and he's walking in the will of God. God warned him, God showed him, and he walked in that way and now he's in Damascus and enjoying fellowship with the Lord and in peace. I see the hand of the Lord leading him. We sing that hymn, that unseen hand. Brothers and sisters, there's an unseen hand. I've never gripped it like I've gripped my children's hand. I've never gripped it like my wife's hand. But there's a hand that's there that leads us in the way in which we should go. And with an eye of faith, we can, we can see it. That hand led Elisha to this place. Not only do I see that hand, I see God's caring hand in this verse. God cared for Elisha enough to reveal to him where he should be there in Damascus. He'd be delivered from that land of famine. I mean, I've said this many times from the pulpit. I don't think we'll ever realize just how much God cares for you. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7, we can cast all our cares upon Him, for He careth for you. God, God cares about you. I mean, when it seems like no one else in the world cares, God, God cares. You know, Peter was writing to people that had given up their home. They left their home. They were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. They'd suffered persecution. And don't you know they looked at each other many times in their journey away from their own house, had all that they had probably on a wagon or a cart. Does anybody care? Peter says, yeah, the Lord cares. God cares. 
You know, David wrote similar words to that in Psalms 55, and he understood in all his travel and all his journeys and fleeing for his life, hiding in caves, sleeping on the side of a hill, just finding a tree for his shade and a roof in the rain. He understood God cares, God cares, where nobody else cares. My daddy one time, you know, were outside, and I had a cookie in my hand, and I was eating the cookie. And Daddy said, I don't know if you know, notice this, son. He said, but every time you take a bite, there's crumbs in that cookie falling to the ground. He said, you know what that is? He said, that's just God showing his care for his creation. He said, there's going to be little birds. Pick that up after a while. He said, well, if God cares enough for those little birds to give them the crumbs of your cookie, he said, God cares enough about you. <laughs> God cares. And we see the caring and, and providential hand of God. Can you see the providential hand of God in your life providing for you when it seemed like nobody else would help? I mean, the Bible says the Lord is our refuge and He's our strength, our very present help in time of trouble. He's not far away. He's right there. His caring hand is, is right there. I look back in my life and I can see that caring hand of God embracing me and helping me in my times of need. And I didn't even know it at the time. I didn't know it at the time. And I'm thankful for the times I do know. I want to share an experience with you. I've said this probably in this pulpit. But you know, it's worth saying again because it happened and it was God that done it for me. You know, many years ago when my daddy was, was sick and I made a decision just to, to give up my job and just serve the Lord in the church and take care of my dad. You know, when daddy passed, I didn't go back to work. I couldn't. I, I was having some of me preaching appointments and I just told Jennifer, we'll just do the best that we can. Well, you know, we go just do the best that you can. Sometimes you got to live tight. And we've learned to do that. And ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there ain't nothing wrong with just, you know, watching what you do and keeping up what you got. I went to a preaching appointment in southwest Mississippi, the Louisiana area, and on the way back, my little Mazda car, that little silver Mazda I had, you know, the Lord blessed me to put over 230,000 miles on that car. On the way back, my, my air conditioner went out on my car. I don't tell you, air conditioner is important to a preacher in a suit. <laughs> if you think I sweat in the pulpit, you just wait till you see, see me get out of a car and didn't have air conditioning. I mean, it can get hot. I, I called Jen. I said, you know, my air conditioner's gone in the car. I'm going to take it tomorrow and get it checked out. Uh, went there to the Mazda place to get it checked out. And, you know, it's never the small things with me. I don't know about you. If something goes bad, it's always big. You know, somebody says, well, it could be this or it could be that. I said, what's the biggest thing it could be? That's what it's going to be. I, I, I always just expect the worst. And I got there, and it was the compressor. It was, it was bad. And the guy told me, you know, it's, it's going to be 1100 something dollars to get fixed. And, and I, money's tight. I called you in. I said, well, they want me to buy the part. And I'll put it on the American Express. And I'll come back tomorrow. And they'll, they'll put it on. So I paid for the part. That was, you know, $500-something. And I went back the next day to, to get them to put it on. And I took my Bible in there with me. And I was reading there in the little rest area, reading my Bible. And there was a man that came in with a laptop. And he was, he was clicking away on his laptop. And I got a telephone call. It was actually another preacher. And I went out and talked to him on the telephone. And I came back in and sat down with my Bible. That man began to talk to me. He said, I know you should read your Bible. He said, where do you go to church? And I, I was the pastor then in Georgia. And I told him. I told him I was the pastor. He said, well, it's a primitive Baptist. He said, what do, what do primitive Baptists believe? And he began to ask me some interesting questions. He asked me questions about predestination. He asked me questions about infants. He asked me questions about the resurrection. He asked me questions about temporal sufferings. And I noticed he started having tears in his, his eyes. He was a cancer survivor. He was crying. 
The lady come by and said, Mr. Laudermill, we got your car done. He said, I'll, I'll take that bill. And I thought, whoa, brother, <laughs> no, you don't want that bill. I said, this is not an oil change here, brother. I said, this, this is bigger than an oil change. He said, he said, it's okay, son. And that doesn't bother me anymore. You know, when I was 18, somebody called me son. It bothered me. At my age, it, you can call me son all you want to. It doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah, he said, son, he said, it's okay. He said, he said you've got the truth, and I've got the money. He said, you let me pay the bill. You just keep preaching that truth. Who did that for me that day? I didn't know him. It was God that did that for me. I've had people ask me, you know, you think you'll come and listen to you preach one day? I probably will. He's already got $500 invested in me. <laughs> you know, I told that story down in South Georgia, and they said the next week, every deacon that had to have his oil changed took his Bible there to the dealership. <laughs> God did that for me. Why did God do that for me? I believe God cares about me. And God cares about you. And I can see the caring hand of God here, God's leading hand, God's carrying hand. I see God's protective hand. You know, if you read back a few chapters, I mean, the Syrians wanted Elisha dead. Do you remember that? They wanted him dead. I mean, he was revealing to the king of Israel all that their plans were. They wanted him dead. And now here he is in Damascus. He's right there with the Syrians. And, well, the Syrians are sending to him and saying, hey, can you give us a little help? How about some information? Will the king be recovered from his disease? It's amazing. Do you find that amazing that God's hand was right there? You know, the Bible said the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord as the rivers water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. I see God's protective hands there around Elisha. You know, as we live here in the year 2021, I said last Sunday, things are not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And if somebody's going to stand up for what's right, you're going to have more opposition. But when you consider the, the protective hand of God that's around us, we should be able to stand with courage to stand up and declare what's right, what the Bible has to say. If you ever thought about the Lord Jesus Christ, the people that got angry at Him? Yeah, I've heard people say, well, the Lord never said anything to make anybody angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. what about there in John chapter 8, verse 21, when He looked at some and said, you're from beneath and I'm from above. I go my way and you shall seek me, and whither I go, you cannot come. I told somebody, I said, if you got a way for those people to go to heaven, you got something the Lord didn't have for them. The Lord did not have, he didn't come into the world for them. And they hated him. They hated him and despised him. John chapter 7, they gathered together to kill him. What about there when he told him, you're of your father, the devil? Now, he's not telling the devil's their life giver, but he's saying, you're of the devil by imitation. The devil's a liar, and y'all are a bunch of liars. They were angry. You know, there in Luke chapter 4, they wanted to cast him headlong over a cliff. But you know what the Bible says? No man laid hands on him. No man laid hands on him until his, his time was come. His hour was not yet come. I find there in John chapter 18 with that big mob come to arrest him. I mean, this was nothing legal. It was all illegal. You can search back far enough, you'll find I tried to preach one time the illegal crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. They broke their own laws to kill the Son of God. They come to arrest him, John chapter 18. He said, whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. You know what they did? They all fell backwards. So my daddy said, it's like a bunch of dominoes, just all falling backwards. Couldn't touch him. Well, Brother Ronnie, why is that so important when we consider the protective hand of God? According to Psalms 91, Psalms 91 was written by Moses, 
and given to the hand of Joshua something that they sang when they went into the land of Canaan. That same power that surrounded the Lord Jesus Christ is the same power that can surround us, dear children of God, as we stand for the truth. You remember David said that in Psalms 91? He would give angels charge over thee, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. The devil knew that was about the Lord. Remember, he quoted that in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. The same power that protected the Lord Jesus Christ in his perfect humanity so no man can lay hands on him until he suffered him to do it is the same power that protected Elisha and it's the same power that protects us. Wow, that's big time power. Would you agree? Somebody in the parking lot, amen that. That's big time power. Amen. <laughs> and I see that here in this verse. There's another verse where I see the hand of the Lord, and I'm going to finish with this. It's over in 2 Kings chapter 13. And this is when Elisha has come to the end of his days. And we saw this in this verse, the leading hand of God, the caring hand of God, the providential hand of God. The protecting hand of God. Elisha here, he's, verse 14, he's, he's sick and he's going to die. Joash, the king of Israel, he came down and he wept over his face. Notice what he said to Elisha. He said, oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. That's precious. Why is that so precious, Brother Ronnie? Turn with me back to 2 Kings chapter 2. This is Elijah and Elisha's with him. And Elijah's going to be taken up by the power of God, a whirlwind. Notice verse 11 of 2 Kings chapter 2. And it came to pass as they still went on, that's Elijah and Elisha, and taught that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. And parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Elisha saw the power of God, the gathering hand of God, that came and got Elisha, Elijah and took him up. Elisha apparently had told that story. And now at the end of his days, one that knew that story reminded Elisha the same power that came and got Elijah is coming to get you. Same power. That's the gathering hand of the Lord. If the Lord doesn't come back in my day, I believe with every cell of my being, that that hand, that power that gathered Elisha, that gathered Elijah will come and take my soul and spirit home to heaven where I'll be at rest forever and ever. You know, as I look back at my life and I remember my dad taking his last breaths, I think about this verse. The chariots of Israel, the horsemen thereof, and the power of God that came and got his soul in his spirit. You know when my dad died, there's a couple of preachers there in the house. Mama, she laid in the floor. And I told everybody, I said, we've not. 
for this man. I said, this man has tried to preach the Lord Jesus Christ since he was 19 years old. He's preached and tried to declare the Lord's glory. And at this time, I'm praising God that this man is looking the one he preached all his life face to face. Why? Because the gathering hand of God came and got him. In death, dear children of God, the gathering hand of God, just as he came and got Elisha, will come and get your soul and spirit and take you home to glory. And when you really think about that experience, that, see, that's scary, does it? We have no reason to fear death. But let us live in reverential fear of him, thanking him and looking for his hand, his hand that blesses us every day of our life. May God richly bless you, our prayer.